You're listening to the pulpit ministry of North Life Baptist Church with Pastor Harley Snowd. At North Life Baptist Church, our mission is to encourage each person to take the steps of loving God, growing together, and serving others. If you would like more information about our church, please visit our website at www.northlife.church. Now, stay tuned for today's message. Amen. Go ahead and take your Bibles and turn to John chapter 21 this morning. John chapter 21. Thank you for uh, those songs. Hopefully, as we've begun uh, the Advent season, Christmas season, you've had time to kind of sit back and reflect and, as that song says, adore Christ. But hopefully not just during the Christmas time, um, but all year round to think of uh, what he's done for us. Uh, John chapter 21, as you're turning in our Bibles, if you would, continue to be in prayer for a pastor as he is over in Pekin, Illinois. Uh, having a wellness week and not peaking. It's if you get rid of those G's in your words, you know, you don't use the ing, you use the N. He's peaking Illinois today. Um, so be in prayer for him as he's at a, at a wellness weekend there. Um, just that the Lord would use uh, him, be an encouragement to those folks there, and of course for safety and travel um, as he um, returns. Uh, just a word of housekeeping uh, coming up tomorrow. Um, we do have um, our beginning phases and stages of uh, teardown here in the auditorium. Um, and so if you do have any free time tomorrow and feel like tearing down some stuff, especially you men, I know we all love to destroy stuff, not as much fun putting it back together, um, but if you have some free time tomorrow throughout this week, uh, feel free to come over to the church. We'd love to have as much assistance as possible, and we're working on taking down some of this ceiling here and uh, getting that set straight and uh, looking forward to just um, everything being changed there and the finished product, perhaps not so much the journey, but the destination there at the end. So we're in John chapter 21 here this morning, the final chapter of John, and I feel like uh, it's been an exciting journey to look at Jesus Christ and how John sees him um, in so many different ways. In the beginning of the book, as we look at him being closer, and then as we've drawn towards the end of this book, an even closer relationship that John has had uh, with Jesus Christ. And so here, uh, we're in John chapter 21. I remember my uh, father-in-law, when he taught Sunday school for a while, they did a study on the Passion Week, the Easter week, uh, and everything that took place that week. And I remember their study took, I think, three years to complete just those couple chapters. So I think we made it through just a little bit quicker than that. Uh, But John chapter 21 this morning, look with me at verse number one. It says, after these things, which we talked about last week, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples of the Sea of Tiberias. And on this wise showed he himself. And so we talked about last week, Pastor discussed um, the resurrection, how Christ was our visible resurrection, and uh, the disciples encountering him, and all that took place there. It says, verse 2, There were together Simon Peter, and Thomas called Didymus, and Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee, and two other of his disciples. Simon Peter saith unto them, I go a fishing. They say unto him, We also go with thee. They went forth and entered into a ship immediately, and that night they caught nothing. But when the morning was now come, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples knew not that it was Jesus. Then Jesus saith unto them, Children, have ye any meat? They answered him, No. And he said unto them, Cast the net on the right side of the ship, and ye shall find. They cast therefore, and now they were not able to draw it for the multitude of fishes. Therefore that disciple whom Jesus loved, loveth, saith unto Peter, it is the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he girt his fisher's coat unto him, for he was naked, and did cast himself into the sea. And the other disciples came in a little ship, 
For they were not far from land, but as it were 200 cubits, dragging the net with fishes. As soon then as they were come to land, they saw a fire of coals there, and fish laid thereon, and bread. Jesus saith unto them, Bring of the fish which ye have now caught. Simon Peter went up and drew the net to land, full of great fishes, and hundred and fifty and three. For all there were so many, yet was not the net broken. Jesus saith unto them, Come and dine. And none of the disciples durst ask him, Who art thou, knowing that it was the Lord? Jesus then cometh and taketh bread and giveth them and fish likewise. This is now the third time that Jesus showed himself to his disciples. After that, he was risen from the dead. So when they had dined, Jesus saith to Simon Peter, and we heard so much about this conversation, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my lambs. Verse 16, he saith unto him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my sheep. He saith unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? The Bible says this, Peter was grieved because he had said unto him the third time, Lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. Jesus saith unto him, Feed my sheep. And so as we wrap up the Gospel of John this morning, what I want to talk about is this, Jesus Christ as the Redeemer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for, Lord, your word and your goodness and your Son, Jesus Christ. And as we look at this chapter, I think of, Lord, so many questions still up in the air for the disciples, and perhaps many questions even up for us. And yet, Lord, you use this passage to once again give us a peace, to give us a calmness, to give us assurance. And Lord, we see you, and John sees you in this passage as Jesus as the Redeemer. And I pray, Lord, this morning as we look at your word, Lord, as we look at our lives and our, our faults and our failures and our weaknesses and our shortcomings. The Lord, through this passage, we would see you not just as judge, although you are, Lord, but as Redeemer himself. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. The, there were a story about some Kentucky horse uh, racing stable owners, and these two stable owners had developed quite a, a rivalry. You know, they had enjoyed competing with one another, but they had become quite rivals and loved, obviously, beating the other, and as horse racers do, um, they put a lot of money into uh, racing, and so they decide each spring they had entered this horse race and just this local race, and one of them thought having a professional rider probably give him a little bit of an advantage, you know, help me win that, that race, give me an advantage there, and so he hired this professional rider to give him a, an extra kind of advantage in this race, and so the day of the race finally came, and as usual, their two horses were neck and neck towards the end, and they were racing, and they were both in the front, and at some point, both horses tripped up, and both riders came falling off, and so they kind of stumbled around, and of course, this, this professional rider, knowing more what to do, perhaps, jumped back on his horse, finished the race, and won quite well. Well, as the story goes, this rider, of course, is excited because he won the race, and so he's taking his horse back to his stable. And the owner, this, this, this horse owner, is all fuming and upset. And so the rider gets back to him and says, why are you so angry? You hired me to win the race, and I won the race. And the owner looks at him and says, yes, but you won it on the wrong horse. 
that jockey had the best of intentions. He, he intended to win the race, right? But he became distracted from the task. He made a bad decision, and ultimately he failed in what he was trying to do. And as funny as that story is, perhaps, oftentimes I think in our walk with Jesus Christ, we do the exact same thing. We have the best of intentions. We're excited and we want to succeed in the faith. We, we want to serve God faithfully. We want to be faithful to our Savior. So often we become distracted from our faith. We allow the wrong influences, perhaps, in our lives. We experience a challenge or, or a setback. We make a bad decision. We experience the spiritual failure of allowing sin into our lives. And our relationship with Jesus Christ suffers because of it, right? And as followers of Christ, I think this is one of the greatest challenges in our life, dealing with setbacks and failures and shortcomings. And it's difficult in our own life, but it's especially difficult in the life of the church. You know, it's amazing to think about how wonderful the church is, and I'm so thankful for a local church where I can gather together with believers that encourage me. Um, and that I can look to for direction and be an encouragement, hopefully, to others. But the church isn't perfect because of so often our sin problems are not only between us and God, and we see this throughout Scripture. Our sin and our struggles aren't just between us and God. Many times the sin in our lives is, is known by others, isn't it? It's known by others, and it has consequences that go beyond just self. And as believers, our failures and our, and our sins can affect our families. Um, they can affect our friends, our loved ones, those that we attend church with. So many people are affected by our failures and our sins. And so I think it's appropriate that we look together as a church to God's Word to find the guidance to surviving the failure of sin. And we see Christ here as this perfect picture of redemption, Peter, if you ever do a study on the life of Peter, as I studied out Peter's life, you can see Peter's kind of a brash fisherman, right? I mean, we can see it even in this passage already here. When I look at the life of Peter, Peter is a guy that said whatever came to mind. He, Peter had a very small filter. If Peter thought it, Peter said it. And we see many criticisms for him. We even see in this passage, you know, Peter sees Jesus once again, and we, we read about how he'd walked on water. We see Peter jump in the water and start swimming into shore, excited to see Jesus. He thought it, and he immediately jumped in. You know, that was one of his great attributes as well, is he was all in on following Christ. He wasn't wishy-washy, and we'll see it in this passage, but it says he jumped in and started swimming to shore. Then what does it say the other disciples did? They stayed in the ship because they were 200 cubits out. They looked at Peter and said, you know what? I'll just paddle in instead. And Peter just thought and spoke whatever he said. But when Peter was committed to something, he was also committed all the way. Peter was committed all the way. There was no wishy-washy half-heartedness to Peter at all. He left his life of fishing to go with Jesus, and he became a fisher of men, and we see God use him to do great things. He was a sold-out follower of Christ, and he didn't hesitate to tell anybody. Even when Jesus warned him that he would someday deny him, what if Peter said, hey, though all men shall be offended because of thee, yet will I never be offended. Peter says, hey, everybody else is going to let you down, Jesus, but me, 
I'm not going anywhere. Even when Jesus Christ himself warned Peter, Lord says, why cannot I follow thee now? I'll lay down my life for thy sake. Peter is, he says, God, I'm, Christ, I'm going to follow you wherever you go. Peter was all in uh, on this Christianity thing, on this Christ follower thing here. And yet we know that despite his enthusiasm and despite his claims, when the moment of truth came, Peter did just as Jesus warned he would do, didn't he? Just as Jesus warned he would do, Peter did. He failed him. He publicly denied him three times. And at that ultimate moment of decision, and as we look at that, <coughs> we must think, wow, what a, what a point of failure. Man, Jesus, you know, Peter's doing everything. I mean, he chops the, the soldier's ear off. He, he says, hey, I'm going to die for you. He does everything for Jesus. And yet, at this moment, when push came to shove here, he denies him three times. You think, he denied, how could he ever be restored? How could he ever be forgiven? And yet, he was forgiven. He was restored. He was redeemed. <coughs> Excuse me. And so the Bible tells us so. So today, as we, as we look at God's word, we can see Christ as the, not just a redeemer, but the redeemer. And so what does Jesus redeem for us? If you're there in your bulletin, I encourage you to take notes. We see two redemptions to take place here in this passage. Number one is this, a redeemed failure. A redeemed failure. You know, Peter is often known for his failures, isn't he? He stepped out on the boat, but he looked away and he fell. He denied Jesus three times. But we see in this passage Jesus Christ redeeming his failure. Can I encourage you with this? Number one, nobody is perfect. Everybody fails. Turn back with me to John chapter 18, verse 25. <coughs> Excuse me. John 18, verse 25, it says this, And Simon Peter stood and warmed himself. They said therefore unto him, Art not thou also one of his disciples? He denied it and said, I am not. Now, none of us in this room or outside of this room are immune to sin. None of us are immune to letting Jesus down. Not even the people who were the closest to him on this earth. Peter walked and talked with Jesus and laughed with Jesus and ate with Jesus. Peter was one of the closest followers of Christ. He was in the inner circle. One that you think, how in the world could he ever let Jesus down? He was so close to him, and yet we see that he fails him. You might even say that he was one of Jesus' best friends, so to speak, here, and yet he even let Jesus down. Not once, not twice, but three times, all within view of Jesus himself. When is it that Peter denies Jesus? When Jesus is just over being on trial. Jesus isn't on some far away, off away land and Peter's far away from him. No, within view of the trial that Jesus is going through, Peter warms himself and denies Jesus three times. And so sometimes when we fail, we think oh, we are the only one going through it. But listen, nobody in here is perfect. And so should we be surprised by the failure of sin that enters into our life? Well, I can't believe that I failed. No. Is God surprised when we fail in our sin and let him down? No. Does he stop loving us ever? No. And so Peter, as we see his failure here, let us first start off by knowing this. Nobody is perfect. All of us fail. God knows that our tendency to sin all too well. 
he knows and created us with the freedom of choice. You know, that is one of the greatest things about our relationship with Jesus Christ is you get to choose whether or not you have a relationship. God did not create robots. If God desired to, he could have created us and we would have immediately just cried out to him and worshipped him at all times and never done anything wrong. He could have created Adam and Eve that way. But he knew that that's not a relationship. It's only a true relationship when you make the choice to be in that relationship. And so we see here... God knows our our tendency to sin all too well. He created us. He was there at the moment when man rebelled and took that step from holiness into sin. He recorded in his word, Romans 3.23, that what? All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. I heard it said this one time. In that verse, it says that all have sinned. It said, and the word all means all, and that's all that all means. There's no parentheses in there that says all, and all of a sudden it says most, except for you or me, it says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All of us, every single one of us have sinned. You know, I heard it said one time that when it comes to witnessing to children and adults, here's the difference. For kids, they struggle to admit that they've sinned. And here's why, because they hate to let people down. You know, most kids, they, they want to make people happy. They want to make their parents happy. And so their hardest part of receiving Christ as Savior is admitting that they've done wrong. And yet as adults, I think if we're honest, we can look at our life and very clearly see and very easily see that all of us have fallen, all of us has failed, just as much as Peter has. And so we're not perfect, we'll fail, we'll sin. So perhaps I think the first important step is to stop beating ourselves up. No, I think there is an important, we'll talk about this, there is a healthy um, repentance and mourning for our sin, but there's nothing to be gained in just beating ourselves up. There's no forgiveness or restoration in hating and punishing ourselves for the sin we commit that really is absolutely no surprise to Jesus. Has it occurred to you that nothing has ever occurred to God? God is not sitting on his throne up in heaven and says, wow, I did not see that coming. Man, I didn't think he would blow it that bad. None of these things surprise our Lord. And so if it's truly forgiveness and restoration that we seek, then we need to go directly to the giver of life and forgiveness and redemption, the Lord Jesus Christ here. And so nobody is perfect. Everyone fails. When I was growing up, I had a brother that was five years older than me. His name was Alex. He was my I would say my best friend. I'm not sure perhaps if he thought I was his best friend, but I thought he was my best friend, and I would follow him around everywhere. Um, I I remember his friends called me Shadow because that was pretty much what I was like to him. And I remember I was about nine, ten years old one day, and I had gone away, and I had come back, and he had broken one of my uh, toys. I can't remember what it was exactly, but I remember he had broken my toy, and I was mad, of course, and as a ten-year-old, I thought I could beat up my 15-year-old brother, and we just went to blows. You know, I was swinging. He was actually hitting. I was swinging. He was hitting. I mean, it, it was a mess. I remember that the kids from around where we lived had come together, kind of watching it, enjoying it. I remember even for a moment, my parents kind of sat there. I'm like, let's just see how this goes for a moment, you know? And um, there was a lot of ice involved afterwards, mainly for me. Um, but I remember that moment of just that intense anger, just fighting back and forth. But I remember the next day, we were right back to playing. You know, we were right back to, you know, hanging out with each other and going on bike rides and doing the same things that we did. 
Because when push came to shove, when everything boiled down, no matter what may have gone wrong between us, he was my friend. And that was all that mattered. You know, I don't want to say this to sound um, watered down, but you realize that no matter what you do, Jesus Christ is still your friend. I just had a discussion with one of my kids this week talking about sometimes we have to tell you when you're doing something wrong. And it doesn't mean we love you any less. It's part of my job. I won't love you any less when you fail. I can't love you any more when you succeed. That love is always there. Take a look at verse number 10 here in John chapter 21. So Jesus saith unto them, Bring of the fish which ye have now caught. Simon Peter went up and drew the net to land full of great fishes, an hundred and fifty and three. And for all there were so many, yet not was the net, was yet was the not the net broken. Jesus saith unto him, Come and dine. Now think about this. Peter had denied Jesus when it counted. When the rubber hit the road where, where, where faith and action came together, Peter did what? He denied Jesus Christ. He had publicly turned his back on Christ, and yet we see the risen Jesus here enjoying watching Peter catch a net full of fish. He cooks breakfast for him. He invites him to sit down and eat, and he enjoys time and fellowship with Jesus. When Peter had denied him so recently. The same goes for you and me. No matter how you failed, no matter how or what sin you've allowed into your life, the Savior who died for you still loves you. The Savior who died for you still loves you just as much even when you fail. And we see here Peter dealing with this, and we'll look at his conversation a little bit more here, but no matter what you do, Jesus Christ is still your friend. You realize this, no matter how many good things you do in your life, Jesus still loves you just as much as he loves you right now. No matter how many dumb things you do, no matter how many mistakes you make, no matter how many times you fail, Jesus still loves you the exact same amount as you are, he does right now. His love is never changing. I mean, I told you for a moment there, when I was talking to my son, telling me, you know, when, when you make mistakes and stuff, I don't love you any less. Now, let's be honest, as parents in here, we perhaps don't love our kids any less when they make mistakes, but sometimes we like them less, don't we? <laughs> All right? Sometimes we have to fight to love them as much as we should. But here Jesus has a perfect love. His love is not like yours and mine where... Let's be honest for a moment. Our love sometimes is based on how others treat us, how others receive our blessings, how others talk to us. Jesus here has a perfect love that does not change. And so he wants to be your friend when you fail. He wants to sit down with you. He wants you to talk with him. He wants you to listen to him. And he wants you to spend time with him, even in your worst moments. Even after Peter had denied Jesus, he doesn't say, hey, I forgive you. Now go on your way. He says, let's sit down and eat. Let's sit down and talk. Let's spend time together. 
no matter how you might fail, Christ is still your friend. He still loves you. He still wants to be near you. On December 14th, 1996, there was a, a grain freighter called the Brightfield that was heading down the, the Mississippi River, and it was in New Orleans, Louisiana at the time, when it lost control and it veered toward the shore. And as the story goes, the boat struck a, a riverside shopping mall. Um, 116 people were injured, and the impact demolished parts of the wharf that had over 200 shops and restaurants and even a, a Hilton hotel. And so they did an investigation on uh, what exactly had caused this, of course. And after a year-long investigation, the Coast Guard reported that the freighter lost control because the engine shut down. You say, well, that's, that's pretty serious. The engine shut down because of low oil pressure. The pressure was low because of a clogged oil filter. And the oil filter was clogged because the mechanic had failed to change the oil and maintain chain the ship properly. And so failing to change the oil wiped out a mall and injured 116 people. Something we think of as so small and simple. And as we see Peter here redeemed, at the same time, you also have to understand that our sin has consequences, doesn't it? Christ can redeem anything, but our sin has consequences. Look with me at the first part of verse number 15. It says, So when they had dined, Jesus saith to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? You know, often those circumstances go far beyond yourself. Your sin, as I said before, affects those who are close to you, your family, your friends, even perhaps your church. But more important than anything else, your sin failure affects your relationship with Christ himself. Just look at Peter and Jesus here. Yes, Jesus still loved Peter. He was still his friend. But that relationship was damaged. It was strained. And the damage to that relationship had to be dealt with. And so Jesus here confronts Peter. He says, so Peter, remember all that stuff you said about I'm never going to leave you. I'm never going to deny you. I'm willing to die for you. Remember all of those things, how you're going to stick by me and never fall away. But look at what you did. And he asked this question, do you still think you love me more than all of these other guys, more than these disciples that are with you? Do you still think you love me the most? And Peter had to be confronted. He had to understand that the consequences of what he had done were were real. He had to realize that he had he couldn't just go back to fishing like it was back in the day here. He just couldn't go back to the way things had been before. His choices and, and his sin had forced a change upon his relationship with Jesus. And so Jesus confronts him here in this passage and helps him to acknowledge that his sin, the choices he makes, had consequences. And not just that, but the change had to be dealt with. He had to understand the consequences of his actions that went far beyond not just him, but how it had reached so many others. And I think, friends, this is a lesson that all of us must never forget as well, that our sin, your sin and my sin, has implications upon your family, your friends, your loved ones, those you work with perhaps, those that you fellowship with in the church. You're not an island. I'm not an island. When I make a decision, it affects other people. 
I remember when I was younger doing just some of the silliest things. And what I mean by that is doing typical guy things, going skydiving, going bungee jumping, things that as I got older, I realized were kind of silly and foolish. Um, but, you know, it was just fun to be risky. And now I remember a few years ago, it, me and my wife were married. Um, I think it was February of 2014. I remember it was February 14th because it was Valentine's Day. I was heading home from work in the morning to uh, come home, and then we were going to perhaps go out and eat and stuff. And we had one son at the time, Timothy. And um, I remember I had, for whatever reason, we were, had a deadline to meet at work, and I had to be in there super early, so I didn't get a whole lot of sleep the night before and had worked like a 14-hour shift. And I was on my way home, February 14th, and it was snowing. I was coming south on 83 and driving home, and I remember all of a sudden um, the road being really bumpy. I had fallen asleep at the wheel and I had gone off the road and kind of went through a little bit of a ditch and was up in a yard. And I remember obviously waking up and seeing a tree kind of in front of me. And if any of you have ever been in this situation, you know how kind of time slows down in some ways. And I remember all I could think of was just hit the brakes. Um, and so I remember hitting the brakes and I ran into a large tree um, and I, airbags went off. And you know, fortunately, the Lord protected me um, and it didn't have really any injuries at all, other than a smashed up car. Um, but I remember sitting there thinking, as I was in the highway patrol, waiting for you know, like a ride to go home and such, thinking that how much that accident, had it not gone that way, had perhaps I been injured or even passed, how it affected other people. How all of a sudden now I have a wife that doesn't have a husband, a kid that doesn't have a dad. And we think about big things like that. You know, hey, if I were to leave this earth suddenly tomorrow, how many people would be affected by it? But how many times do we live our life and make decisions and think, it just affects me? Uh, it's, just, it's, just between, it's just between me and God. It doesn't affect you know, my, my children. It doesn't affect my relationship with the people around me. Or it doesn't affect my relationship with my wife at all. The decisions that you and I make the decision spreads and affects others. When Peter denied Jesus, listen, it did not just affect Peter. It did not just affect Peter. It affected so many others. And because of that, Peter had to be confronted. We have to acknowledge and deal with the fact that our sin affects other people. We have to understand that our choices do not just affect us. I heard a story about four preachers who, uh, they just met for a friendly gathering, and uh, during the conversation, one of the preachers said, our people come to us, and they, they pour out their hearts, and they confess certain sins and needs, so why don't we do the same? You know, I feel like a lot of people come, and we should, you know, as a group of preachers here, we should kind of confess our struggles and be at prayer for one another, and so, you know, confession is good for the soul, and so they all agreed, and one confessed that he liked to go to movies and would sneak off when away from his church, and the second confessed that you know, he liked to, to smoke cigars. And the third one confessed to liking to play cards. And when it came to the fourth one, he just wouldn't confess. You know, he just wouldn't give anything up. And the others kept pressing him. Hey, you know, we confessed our sins and our struggles. You, know, you should let us know what yours is. What's your secret or your vice? And finally he answered, he said, my struggle is gossiping. And I can hardly wait to get out of here. <laughs> you know, our... Our first inclination when faced with failure of sin in our lives is to try and hide it, isn't it? 
I just sweep it under the rug and hopefully nobody notices. And somehow we think that if we just put it out of sight and out of mind, and if enough time passes, that it won't matter anymore. But friends, I really hope you know that that approach won't work. Sin that is hidden is sin that festers and it grows and it infects and it only becomes worse. If you want to experience the full redeeming power of Christ, you have to do this. You have to confront your sin, admit it, and confess it. Turn back with me to John chapter 18 and look at verse number 18 with me for a moment. John chapter 18 and verse number 18. It says, And the servants and officers stood there who had made a fire of coals, for it was cold, and they warmed themselves, and Peter stood with them and warmed himself. So we read this story just a few weeks ago. You remember about how Peter stood by these coals and warmed himself, while once again, Jesus is being on trial, and this is where Peter denies him. So Peter vividly remembers this moment where he denies Jesus three times, the rooster crows, that's what the, 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 the background here is, and the, kind of the setting is. Now jump over to chapter 21 and verse number 9. So we see that there in, in chapter 18. Look at verse number 9 of chapter 21. It says, As soon then as they were come to land, so that's Peter got in the land, the disciples got in the land, they saw a fire of coals there, and fish laid thereon, and bread. Now jump to verse 15. So when they had dined, Jesus saith to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. And we see this conversation take place here. He saith unto him, Feed my lambs. He saith to him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my sheep. He saith unto him the third time, Simon, Son of Jonas, lovest thou me? And it says, Peter was grieved because he said unto him the third time, lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. Jesus saith unto him, feed my sheep. Now this here is an incredible moment. And I point out these verses in chapter 18 and, verse 20 and chapter 21 to you because I want you to understand how Jesus has set up this circumstance you see the reference to the fire in chapter 18 at the moment of denial. And then the reference to this charcoal fire here in chapter 21. What's interesting is the Greek word for this charcoal fire is anthrakian. I didn't know that. I had to look it up. It's found literally only these two places in the entire New Testament. It's not a coincidence. On the night of the denial, Peter warmed himself in the darkness by a charcoal fire. Now he finds himself warmed by a fire at sunrise with Jesus Christ, the one he had denied. Now, how many times did Peter deny Jesus? Three. Now, how many times sitting there by that fire did Jesus ask Peter about his love for him? Three. Do you see how Jesus set up this important moment for Peter? Jesus still loved Peter, yes. And yes, several days had passed since that horrible night when Peter denied him. But that failure, that denial, that sin, it was real. And it had to be confronted. It had to be brought out into the light. And it had to be addressed. Friends, God's word promises us in 1 John 1, 9, what? If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 
but we have to admit, we have to confess. Does God know all of your faults and failures? Yeah. But does he desire for you to confess them anyways? Absolutely, because confession is not for him to know. Confession is for you to feel and accept and receive that redemption that he's already brought to you through the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. When God was in the Garden of Eden and said, Adam, where are you? Was God playing hide-and-seek with Adam and Eve? No, he knew exactly where they were. It was not for information that he asked the question. It was so that he could be confronted with his sin and his difficulty. No amount of hiding, no amount of pretending, no amount of sweeping under the rug can resolve our sin problem. The only solution is openness and confession with Jesus Christ because he can redeem and has redeemed our failure. And so he reaches out to Peter and he sets up this moment and Peter realized how much his failure had affected others and how real the consequences were. But he redeems his failure. He didn't just leave him there and said, hey, Peter, you messed up, way to go. He redeems failure, but he also redeems focus. Once we come to the point where we're willing to confess our failures, he can redeem those, and then he redeems our focus. Look with me at verse number 17. And Jesus gives Peter a, a command. Verse, the, the end of verse 17, he says this, Feed my sheep. Yes, Peter had failed miserably. He said, I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going to deny you. I'm going to die for you. You're going to be stuck with me forever. Peter failed. He denied him and failed miserably. He denied God, but he saw that Jesus still loved him. He understood the consequences and he confronted his sin. And so by giving Peter this three-part affirmation, he let Peter know that he was still valuable to the cause. He was useful. He had a purpose. In fact, as we read later, he would still be a great leader for the cause of Christ. I want you to flash forward with me a few weeks in the scriptures and, so to speak, read the rest of the story. Look over at Acts chapter 2. What happened with Peter after the resurrection of Jesus and the coming of the Holy Spirit so it's 50 days after Jesus has ascended into heaven. The Holy Spirit comes upon this group of believers and this, this violent wind and tongues of fire, as the scripture says, and they begin to speak in other languages that they didn't know, but that God gave them so the people nearby would understand. But look at what happens in Acts chapter 2. Look at verse number 13 and 14, first of all. It says, Others mocking said... These men are full of new wine. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, Ye men of Judea and all ye that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you and hearken to my words. And so they begin to mock what's taking place here. Peter stands up and says something. And look at verse number 40. It says, And with many other words did he testify and exhort, that's Peter, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation, then they that gladly received his word were baptized. And the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. 
the same man that had just denied Jesus Christ and his knowledge of him and his relationship with him just a few months earlier is now seeing 3,000 souls saved. Friends, that's the same Peter who cowered in darkness and denied Christ, now telling everybody about Jesus Christ. And it's amazing. It's powerful. Understand this. No matter how you have failed, no matter how you've allowed sin to infect your life, Christ already has the remedy for that sin. Christ already has the remedy. He wants to restore that relationship with you. He wants to redeem your failures. He wants to redeem your focus. He wants to redeem your purpose. Peter had fallen, yes, and yet we see Jesus not just redeem his failure and say, I understand the consequences, but I'm going to restore you. I'm going to redeem you and use you to do great things. He wants to forgive you. He wants to be your very best friend. He wants to use you for a great cause that, quite honestly, most of us cannot imagine what he has planned for you. But there are some steps that you have to take confronting it, admitting your sin, confessing it. And once you resolve that, God not only can, but will restore and redeem you and use you in mighty ways to make a difference in his kingdom. There was a man by the name of A.J. Gordon was a pastor of a church in Boston, and he met a, a young boy in front of the sanctuary carrying this rusty cage in which had several birds. And uh, you know, the man asked him, A.J. Gordon asked this young man, you know, where did you, where'd you get those birds? And the boy replied, I trapped them out in the field. Well, he says, well, what are you going to do with them? He says, well, I'm going to play with them, and I guess I'll just feed them to an old cat we have at home. <laughs> it's kind of strange. And so Gordon offered to buy them, for $2. And the lad exclaimed, you don't want them. They're just little old wild birds and can't sing very well. They didn't really have anything to offer at all. And he said, I'll give you $2 for the cage and the birds. The kid said, okay, it's a deal, but you're making a bad bargain here. So the exchange was made and the boy went away whistling, of course, happy with his $2. Gordon walked around to the back of the church property, opened the door of the small wire coop and let the struggling creature soar into the sky. The next Sunday, he took the empty cage into the pulpit and he used it to illustrate his sermon about Christ's coming to seek and to save the lost, paying for them with his own precious blood. And the pastor said this, That boy told me the birds were not songsters, said Gordon, but when I released them and they winged their way heavenward, it seemed to me they were singing, Redeemed, redeemed, redeemed. You, know, you and I, have been held captive to sin. We live in a sin-filled world. We live in a, in a sinful body. We're born into sin. But Christ has purchased our pardon and set us at liberty. And when a person has this life-changing experience, he will want to sing, redeemed, redeemed, redeemed. He redeemed Peter's failure. He can redeem mine and yours. He redeemed his focus. He can redeem mine and yours. And I want to urge you, if sin has led you down the wrong path of your life, find your way back through the power, might, and love of Jesus Christ. Christ desires for each of us to experience that redemption because he is the redeemer. He wants to redeem your failure. There's nothing too big that he cannot redeem. You say, he doesn't know what I've been through. He does. 
it's amazing that he, he knows all and yet still loves us. You say, I can't even forgive myself. It's not your job to redeem yourself. Jesus Christ took care of that. And so he wants to redeem your failure and he wants to redeem your focus if you will allow yourself to admit it, to confront it, to confess it. Peter could have turned from Christ and had his life ruined. Hey, he, 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 he fell at the, when really the challenge came. And yet Jesus doesn't say, Peter, I'm done with you. He says, Peter, come and dine. Peter, do you love me more than these? Be honest with yourself. Peter, you failed. I don't love you any less, but I'm going to do something with you if you're willing to confront it, admit it, and confess it. And he desires to do the same with you and I as well. All of us in this room have failed, right? If we were to take a sheet of paper and write down our failures, most of us would raise our hand and ask for a second sheet of paper. And Jesus does not look down upon us and say, they failed me, I'm done with them. He says, I can redeem that. I can use that. If we'll simply confess and lean upon him. So my question for you this morning is this. Where is your sin affecting your relationship with perhaps others, but especially with Jesus Christ? Confess that to him. Where is it affecting your focus? What does God have in store for you that you can accomplish for his honor and glory if you would simply come to him and say, Lord, I know you already know these things, but God, I have a desire to be redeemed. I have a desire to be restored. I desire to be used by you. Peter did it, and you and I can too. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day.